Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The heart and soul of the company isn't about houses, it's about people. I always wanted to be a tech company that had like heart at the center of the company and creativity, not bits and bytes. During your travels, I'm sure many of you listeners have booked an Airbnb, one of those residential properties made available for short-term rental. Officially launched in March of 2008, Airbnb has become a major player in the hospitality business around the world. Brian Chesky is the co-founder and CEO of the wildly popular and successful San Francisco-based company. Although under his picture in his high school yearbook, Brian wrote the caption, I'm sure I'll amount to nothing. Brian sure has. In 2015, he was named one of Time's 100 Most Influential People Alive. And today, his publicly traded company is worth close to how much, Brian? I guess close to $80 billion. $80 billion and continues to grow. And at the ripe old age of 41, <laughs> I hope that you are taking advantage of your vast success and enjoying your life. Yes, thank you very much. So he's joining me today from my farm in Bedford, New York. He just flew in from Boston. Yeah. And we want to talk about his road to success with Airbnb, the business of being in business, is Brian Chesky. Thanks very much for joining me today, Brian. Well, thank you, Martha, for having me today. I've looked forward to meeting you for a long time. You went to Rhode Island School of yes. Design. Many, I, at one time, when I started my company, about 10 years into the development of Martha Stewart Living, I was the largest employer of Rhode Island School yeah. of Design graduates. I remember that when I was at RISD. Yep. That was I, a big theater program. Yeah, for, it was It was you. so great. We And we still have many of the graduates working for us. Kevin Sharkey, yeah. Hosanna Hauser. A lot of a yeah. lot of my employees went to Rhode Island why School was of it? Design. Why, why, why RISD? Was well, um, it was just, a, it was just, and I don't, 
don't want to say factory, but it was the, the it was a fabulous school for the developing of the crafty, yeah. the artistic, the photographic, uh, yeah. so many different fields yeah, totally. are studied at Rhode Island School yeah. of Design, and the school attracts uh, the most talented of uh, people yeah. interested in all of that. Yeah. And so we found lots and lots and lots of great employees and I'm in touch with lots of them. And, oh, yeah. and, uh, and you, uh, did you, what did you study there? Yeah. So I, um, well, I'll just go back my, um, from, by the way, um, being on your, being on your podcast today is definitely a highlight for me and highlight even maybe more for my mom. Cause I have a lot of memories <laughs> growing up, um, of you being on television and, and like all your magazines in our house. And, and then, yeah, when, so I got to RISD, I'm from upstate New York, just a little bit of background. My parents are social workers growing up. I remember my mom like telling me one time I was like in high school, I think I was like 13, four, maybe I was 14 years old. And she said, she told me something. I was staying in the backyard of her house. She said, I chose a job for the love as a social worker and I ended up making no money. So you should choose a job that pays you a lot of money. And one day I tell my mom, I said, I've realized what I want to do in my life. I want to be an artist. And she says, oh my God, you managed to pick the only field that will pay less than a social worker. Like you're <laughs> going to literally get paid nothing and live in my basement. I said, no, mom, I'm, I'm going to like get a job. And she goes, if you get a job, it has to be a real job. And I go, what's a real job? She goes, a real job is a job with health insurance. So anyways, I, 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 I'm in high school and I discover like, you know, that like I just have this passion for art and design. And so I, I go to RISD and I get to RISD. And by the time I get to campus, I kind of, I'm really like a uh, fine artist at the point. I'm like an artist, a drawer, a painter. And I come to the conclusion, I'm almost like born a hundred years too late for what I want to do because the illustration I'm doing is starting to be replaced by photography. And freshman year, you have to pick this major. And so I'm like 17 years old. Maybe I just turned 18. I already decided I was going to be an artist or designer. Now I got to pick what type of thing I'm going to do the rest of my life. I don't even know. And they, every, you know, as you know, there were 18 majors. Every department had a pitches to like go into the department. You know, there's architecture, graphic design, there's furniture, there's jewelry, there's, you know, you can kind of name Textiles. It, textiles, ceramics. Okay. And then there was this field called industrial design. And before RISD, I never heard of it. And I remember the department had some, said something like industrial design is the design of everything from a toothbrush to a spaceship and kind of everything in between. And when I heard that, I realized that is exactly what I want to do. You know, you can do like, you can do like, you can work for you, Martha Stewart Living. You can do medical design. You can toy design. You can do fashion. You can do like equipment. You computer can, design. Computer. I mean like Robotic the Robotic design. <laughs> like everything Apple design was industrial design. And it was really the intersection of technology and like kind of crafts and materials, um, manufacturing. It's one of the few design fields where you're responsible for whether the thing you make sells. If you're an architect, it's really not your problem if the building's not leased. If you're a designer and your product doesn't sell, that's a real problem. What was your big project at RISD? So I did a couple things, probably two. One, I spent a semester at MIT. So they had this product development program with MIT Sloan. And you basically had a, got assigned like an everyday household item and you had to reinvent it. You're on a team with electrical and mechanical engineers from MIT. And of course, you're the designer. And we came up with this like thing for Starbucks. It was never manufactured. It was like a sugar dispenser. Oh. But it was really cool. And um, it was so like- So just a teaspoon of sugar comes out. Yeah, it was probably half a teaspoon, half I think. Half a teaspoon. So you could get a little bit more precision. And it was just like, I thought really nice, beautiful, like kind of- 
elegant solution, but it was the first time I had worked really closely with like mechanical engineers and, you know, and, and there were electrical engineers, but we didn't, we did not make our product like electric, electricity based. And so that was cool. And then my senior year, I was very interested in like health. And this is like, you know, obviously way before the iPhone. And I had this idea of like, we know all this information about our stocks. We know all this information about our personal finances. We know all this information about like the sports teams, why don't we know the information about the most important thing we have, which is our own bodies? And so I tried to design this like health and fitness program where it could basically track your like biometrics and it could basically be like a virtual personal trainer. And there's a lot of apps now in the app store that kind of oh, yeah. do this stuff. But this was you know, 2004, way before any of this technology revolution. So I graduate RISD. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I want to go to California. I couldn't tell you the difference between LA and SF, never been either place. I vaguely knew there might've been a difference, but California represented a frontier. It represented a place where like kind of, I guess, dreams come true and you could like make anything in your life. And I always thought, look, California, it's not what you've done, but what you will do. And I'm like, well, I haven't done anything. And I go to LA and I get a job as an industrial designer. It's this little firm. And, you know, because we're a small firm, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because we had... We worked with clients with small budgets. So basically, we worked with startups. We weren't, we weren't working with like, we weren't like IDEO working with like Procter & Gamble, which would have been prestigious, but it would not have prepared me for entrepreneurship. No. I remember one time I got assigned a project um, to be on a reality TV show. It was the craziest thing. Like Simon Cowell had just done American Idol. He did a spinoff called American Inventor, which is basically a precursor to Shark Tank. And my boss one day comes in to me in my office, he said, you're going to be on a reality TV show. And I'm like, I am? He goes, yes, you are. Because ABC has like hired us and you're going to be assigned a contestant and you have to design this product for this contestant. And so, they, were, they were competing with The Apprentice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes, exactly. So I got assigned a magician who had an idea for a better toilet seat. <laughs> and so that's that's like what I'm like. I'm like, I remember I'm like 24. Four now, maybe 25 years old. I'm designing this toilet seat for an, for a magician on reality television. What did it do? It was just a toilet seat that was meant to be more hygienic by like when you flush it, it seals everything. So everything's more sanitary. It's probably, maybe it's a good idea. Um, but I just kind of thought like, wow, like I, I gotta, this is, this is, you gotta start somewhere. But I remember at this point, my life was like, I'm in a car and the road in front of me looks exactly like the road behind me. And I'm like, this is not my life. I've got to make a change. So I'm in LA. The tech revolution is basically happening. Facebook sure. is taking off. YouTube was just sold to Google. And I kind of felt like the gears of the world are turning in San Francisco. My friend from RISD named Joe was living in San Francisco. And he's been telling me for like a year now, like, come to San Francisco. Where it's happening. It's where it's happening. So <laughs> finally, I'm like, all right. By the way, like I was, I was making $40,000 a year, entry-level designer. I had no savings. I think I had like $1,000 at the bank. So one day, this is now October 2007, I pack everything in the back of old Honda Civic, and I drive up to San Francisco. I even had like rolled up like a foam mattress into my back seat with duct tape. I get to San Francisco, and my now roommate, Joe Gebbia, who's now my co-founder, tells me that our rent is check is due. And the rent check is $1,150. So I don't have enough money to pay rent. Well, it turns out that weekend, an international design conference was coming to San Francisco and all the hotels were sold out. And we had this idea. We said, well, what if we just turned our house into a bed and breakfast for a design conference? Unfortunately, I didn't have any beds, just literally moved <laughs> up there. But Joe had 
three airbeds in his closet. So we pulled the airbeds out of the closet, we inflated them, and we called it airbedandbreakfast.com. And that's where the name comes from. And if you had told me back then, I'd be telling the story like a thousand times. I'd be like, you're crazy. But we ended up hosting three people that weekend, a 35-year-old woman from Boston, a 45-year-old father of five from Utah, and a 30-year-old from India. And something, Martha, kind of crazy happened. The expected thing that happened is we were able to pay our rent. But the unexpected thing that happened is when three people live with you for a week, it's not unusual for you to become friends with them. And I wasn't expecting to make friends, but you took like a two-year relationship and we compressed it. Mm-hmm. And the thing about hosting, and I had like, I had no and, idea about- And you were staying in the house also. I was there with them. Uh-huh. And basically, I didn't just like, like we made them breakfast. It was not a fancy breakfast. It was like Pop-Tarts and like orange juice. And and we gave them like a map to the city, but we actually like took them around the city. They got to feel like there were a local designer in San Francisco. So unlike staying at a hotel, this was kind of like staying with like a friend from out of town. And we basically took them around the city, hung out with them, and- by the way, the thing I realized is I had fun too. And there's something about hosting, and I didn't know anything about this, that when you're hosting, it's like this really sacred relationship you have where the, a traveler or a guest is like, you know, they're kind of, they, they, they're, they're vulnerable. They're putting themselves into your trust. And you feel that. And you also feel like your life is on display and you want to like show your best foot forward. You're like, this is my life. This is my house. And so there's this really like deep bond when you're hosting somebody that I took for granted. And that, that was the genesis of Airbnb. So what'd you, what'd you do for sheets and towels? It was a, it was rough. We weren't the best. I mean, I'm going to be honest. We were good hosts insofar that it was fun. You were hanging out, but, but we were broke 24 year olds. So yeah, we, we like, we had a bunch of, we had sheets laid out on an airbed. We had a stack of towels because I wanted to feel like I was like a real hospitality company, but we were also renting airbeds on a floor. <laughs> so it was a nice juxtaposition. I remember at one point I see a 45-year-old father five. He's like a Mormon from Utah, and he's sleeping on an airbed in our living room. And it was just like a funny image. You know, it's like, wow, this is funny. Uh, well, but they had a good experience. They did. Well, that's, that's the important thing. Yeah. So did you know then that that was going to evolve into Airbnb? I remember Martha saying, this is going to be huge. One day, a thousand people are going to do this. And that was my idea of huge. So no, I mean, I thought uh, we were always one or two steps ahead, but not like a thousand steps ahead. Mm -hmm. And how could you ever have imagined that inflating three air mattresses one weekend to make rent would lead to what it is today? It's now been used a billion and a half times. Is that true? A billion and a half. How great. We have the equivalent of the population of Los Angeles living together every single night. Never in human history has nearly every country in the world lived together like today. And obviously, the lot happened between then and now. Now, is that a lot, lot more than staying in hotels or how's, what's the equivalent? I don't know what the total inventory of a Hilton or Marriott is. Maybe they can house like a million people a night. So, and we can house, you know, up to 4 million people a night. 4 million a night. On a big worldwide. night. Worldwide. Worldwide. Where aren't you in the world? That's a great question. It's easier to say where we aren't. We're not in North Korea. They have no internet. We're not in Iran for regulations. We're not in, uh, I don't think we're in Crimea. We pulled out of Russia and Belarus. And we're not in, I don't think we're in South Sudan. We were and still are one of the most global companies in the world. We're one of the biggest businesses in Cuba. We're one of the biggest American businesses in Brazil. We have a robust business in Japan, Korea, you know, kind of nearly every my, country. My in the world. Ecuadorian driver has four Airbnbs in 
in his hometown in Ecuador. They run it via the internet, yeah. and they live here, and yeah. they run it that, there, and they go back down every so often to check on everything and make sure it's all up to par. But it's so interesting to see uh, young entrepreneurs developing inside your company. You know, it's kind of crazy, Martha. We have nearly four and a half million hosts that are hosting. Last year, our host earned more than $60 billion. Wow. And the majority of them were women. Wow. Which is also pretty cool. So it's a nice way to make a second income. It's a nice way to make a second income. Or a first income. Some people do a first income. Right. And the cool thing is like, if you start hosting, like people are shocked at how well it works. The average person who gets a booking, book gets a booking within three days of listing. And I think it gives people a lot of pride. I mean, there's something about like in this world where we're spending more and more time online. It feels like the more time we spend online, the internet had this promise to bring us all together and build community. But there's something about like face-to-face connection that I think Airbnb brings. It gets us offline from the internet. It's a very like old-fashioned idea mm-hmm. with new technology. It kind of brings out the best in everyone because I think to be a host, you know better than anyone is to care for someone else, to anticipate their needs, to put your life on display, and to be able to democratize that idea to get millions of people you know, for every like $1,100 spent in the world, I think the last I saw about a dollar spent on Airbnb. So it's a very ubiquitous idea now. But people thought this idea was crazy. I remember the well, first- I remember when it first came out, I thought, I wonder, would I ever do that? I've never, I have never actually rented any of my properties. Yeah. And I just, I, I guess I just think, uh, you know, I, first of all, I don't have much time to do that. Yes. But- Oh, should I really do that? But every one of my family members has stayed in a an Airbnb. You haven't stayed in one yet, though. No, I have not. My da- my daughter is an avid Airbnb, and they're they're going back on Airbnb. There you go. Yeah, it's really. It's well, really- I think that like you are the quintessential host. Yeah, and 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 there's something actually. It is funny. Like I I, I started hosting recently, and again because I was the first host in Airbnb. And it hadn't occurred to me to like host for the last few years, but I started hosting again last year. I decided I'm going to put my home on Airbnb for fun. Now, where's your home? My home is in San Francisco. Uh-huh. So I live right near Dolores Park in San Francisco. Oh, lovely. And I was going to like, you know. I, what I was, do you charge a night at your home? I charge $0 a night. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't figure out what to charge. And I thought, well, I'm not doing this for money. So, so how do you get it? How do you get your home? It's more like a. It's more like you have to be online at the right time, oh. and then it's availability pops up, oh. and then you book it. I've had three guests stay with me, and uh, and um. So you know, I I would I sh- think every pretty eligible girl in America would be putting in for that. I'm still waiting for those guests, but um. <laughs> but I've had is mostly guys. <laughs> it's been guys booking. Brian is not married, girls, yeah. <laughs> and he is 41 years old, and he is a multi-billionaire, and. Actually, he's really cute, and he has beautiful teeth and a nice smile. Oh, girls. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, let me tell you about my You're never going to Airbnb your house again. <laughs> I know. Now I gotta, now I'm embarrassed. Um, no, but when I when people stay with me, um, the theme is beyond the airbed because I basically – it's a theme of the original Airbnb. So you come into my house, and I de- decorated the, my guest room with old photos when I started the company. You know, like I basically give them a tour of the original Airbnb – we make dinner together the first night. I think it's really cool to like share a meal together and cook, but I, I can't actually cook. So, um, but I make cookies. I make okay. these <laughs> special chocolate cookies. I call them Chesky's chips. They've been a family recipe for um, 
you know. Oh, a send year. me the recipe. I want to oh, try. Oh, I got it off Google. It's a great recipe. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I should have made you some cookies, but that's a high standard. And so, and then the next day, I take them on a tour of the office. When you step into someone's home or their office, you kind of step into their mind, into like a thousands of decisions that they made. And like, I could talk to you for hours, but I don't quite understand you to the extent that I step in your space because I see your books, oh, yeah. your design decisions, like everything. And it's really cool. Oh, this is our studio. You're sitting in my TV studio. Okay, well, I like it. Which is used for um, some of our cooking shows yeah. and some of our gardening shows. But it is uh, it is interesting that you actually uh, let the guests stay in your own home. Yeah. It's not like you've gone away for the weekend. No, and- people thought it was kind of crazy, yeah. including my mom. She's like, what? You're going <laughs> to like – I, I feel like she was trying to stage an intervention quietly with my team. Like, are you serious? You're going to have strangers in your house? But it actually, I know it sounds crazy, but the whole point of Airbnb is it's not crazy because they're not strangers. But are most people renting out um, extra rooms or are they renting out an, an additional, uh, uh, like rooms in an addition on their house? What's the most used scenario? Is it uh, like the apartment over the garage? What is yeah, it? The most used scenario is somebody renting the house they're living in when they're not there or a second home that they live in some of the time. Okay. So that's the most common use. Yes. Now you, we started as a way to rent a room in your house while you're there. That's kind of the original Airbnb idea. And now you've got more enterprising people that are managing multiple properties like this gentleman Equitable. Right. Yeah. If you own three or four properties and you can make more money renting them day to day than to by the month or year. And the basic idea of Airbnb is you get to like travel and live like a local. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. So when you got this, this, this light bulb went off. Yeah. And you were having these people sleeping on air mattresses. How long from that moment to raising the first funds for actually starting up your company? And along the way, of course, you, you said your partner that traveled with you to San Francisco was your first founding partner. Yeah. Do you have other found- yeah, uh, founders? Yeah, two founders. So, oh, who was the other one? So Joe is my first one. And then only a few months later, we didn't really do much for the first few months. And then Joe and I are realizing we're ordinary guys. So I bet you there's a lot of other ordinary people like us that want to make some extra money, meet cool people. So I asked Joe, I, I said, who's the best engineer, you know, software engineer? Because we're both designers from RISD. Yeah. And he said, well, my old roommate in San Francisco, Nate, is. And Nate joined us, and the three of us got together. And we said, what if we can build a website where you could book someone's home the way you could book a hotel anywhere in the world? And I remember telling somebody about this idea. The first person I told this idea to, he said, Brian? I said, yes. He goes, I hope that's not the only idea you're working on. Mm-hmm. And I go, why? He goes, this is crazy. Strangers are never going to stay with other strangers. And I remember saying, they're not going to be strangers. Right. The whole point is you're going to be able to virtually meet them because we're going to design a system of trust where both sides have profiles. Both sides review each other. We're going to verify people's identity. We're going to have 24-7 support. And we have all these different safety protocols. And that's really the secret sauce of Airbnb. And you thought about that right away. From the very beginning. Okay, good. Because this was the objection. And I think the idea is like, it's actually not that crazy once you get used to it. Like an hour ago, we didn't know each other and now we do. And you can get to know somebody pretty quickly and you can bring a lot of signals online about people and really bring them to life. And I think that's one of my missions is to make sure that like, like there aren't strangers in the world, just people you haven't met yet. And I think that, you know, we're more alike than we are different. If we can use hosting to remind people that I think the world would be a lot smaller place. So you you developed the concept. You had one engineer and two designers. So now it's March 2008. We found the company, basically. And we launch for South by Southwest in 2008, and we get two bookings. Hmm. And I was one of the two bookings. So at this point, we're like, all right, this is not really taking off. It's still <laughs> not working. So we try one more time. Um, you can imagine, if you remember, summer 2008, what's happening? Presidential election. Barack Obama, John McCain. There's a Democratic National Convention coming up. And I remember there was like a CNN article. It was like DNC housing crisis because they were going to see Obama was doing the keynote in the football stadium in Vesco Field. And everyone's like, where are all these people going to stay? And we're right. like, air bed and breakfast. So we launched for the Democratic National Convention. as With an advertising campaign? I had like $50 to my name. So no, there was no advertising campaign. Well, how did you launch? How did you pepper, so, pepper the internet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. So we like will call like producers at CNN. They're like, who are you? We're not talking to you. So eventually we started with like local bloggers. Like I, I at some point I was probably like, like, like emailing college kids that had like little blogs and they would start talking about it. And then the Denver Rocky Mountain News and the Denver Post would start talking about it. And then the local TV news t- stations. I remember there was a TV station. They did a story about a person trying to make money um, on the DNC. And I had said, I have a hundred stories like that. Hmm. So I would call the producers. We were just relentless. We were shameless. And then finally, you know, in Denver, you have like CNN, New York Times and all these outposts, all these people stationed. And they, they started talking about the company. And so finally we were launched, we got the word out. We were in all this press 
And we provided housing for like 80 people during the Democratic National Convention. And Martha, at this point, I thought we were like massive. We're huge. We've made it. We're like the Beatles of tech. (laughs) We've 80 bookings. I have no sense of scale. Then the next weekend, we have like no bookings. And I realized if only there were political interventions every week, we'd have a business. So we tried to raise money for investors. We were trying to raise $150,000 at a $1.5 million valuation. If you had given us $150,000 back then, pre-dilution, you would have today $8 billion. Maybe post-dilution, you still have a few billion. And nobody wanted that deal. I remember somebody saying, I like everything but you and your idea. Meaning Mm -hmm. the idea, strangers aren't going to stay together. And here's the other thing they said, designers don't start tech companies. Did you go to people like Kleiner Perkins? Oh, yeah. And they said no? Actually, I don't know if we went to Kleiner Perkins in the early days. We went to like all sorts of angel investors, and most of them said no. And so we're totally broke. I remember this point, like, you know those binders that like um, those plastic sleeves kids used to put baseball cards in oh, growing yeah. up? Of course. We put credit cards in them. That's how that's we funded the company. We were just like taking out credit cards. They would give us $5,000 limits, and we'd take out another card, and we were funding the company that way. So now we're like 30, 40K in credit card debt. I don't recommend doing this. Um, and we were called the Airbed and Breakfast. The Airbeds weren't selling. So we said, well, what about breakfast? And so we ended up with this kind of harebrained idea, which turned out to be kind of funny, where we made um, collectible breakfast cereal, Barack Obama, John McCain-themed cereal. We called it Obama O's, the breakfast of change, the uh-huh. little Cheerios, and Captain McCain's were Captain, uh, Crunches. Captain Crunches. Yeah. yeah, a maverick in every bite. And we been, ended up like making like $30,000, I think, selling collectible breakfast cereal. At this point, though, we're still like not no traction. We've been doing this for a year. No one thinks this is a good idea. So we entered this program called Y Combinator. You might have heard Y Combinator, like a basically a seed incubation fund. And that's when everything took off. And the reason why was because now it's late 2008, early 2009. There's a recession. People are losing their homes. And then suddenly, I remember Paul Graham used to say, make something people want. And we said, well, what if we make something people really need, like desperately need? And that's Those how are my two started. key words, want and need. That's what we tried to that's do. That's it. Wants and needs. And and I think that like that's a very important lesson because so many entrepreneurs that are ambitious make things that people don't really want or don't really need. And I think a great way to make something people need is to make something that you need for yourself in mm-hmm. your life. So then it took off during Y Combinator. We focused on New York City. I mean, I was crazy. I would fly to New York every single week with my co-founder, Joe, and we because that's New York City was the only place we had any business. And we literally go knocking on doors, like getting people to sign up, or we literally like meet users that would host on Airbnb. And I remember I would knock on their door and I'd say, Hey, like I'm the founder of the company. And they're like, Oh my God, you must be a really small company if you're like knocking on my door. <laughs> I mean, literally the way you would get paid back then as I would carry a bank ledger in my backpack and I would just hand checks to people. There was like, there was just like a complete free for all. All the bookings were done by you. And you then reimburse the owner. Yeah. So the whole thing, I mean, we did have all the bookings done through the platform, but mm-hmm. a lot of people, you could elect to get paid by PayPal or by having your money paid through a bank account. We eventually did online ACH, but for like a month or two, I just literally was like mailing checks to people before we That's automated great. ACH and, you know, eventually it got much more automated. So you've gone through multiple hurdles. What was the, what was the biggest hurdle? I mean, good or bad. I mean, there's, there's in, in the whole history of the company. Yeah, I would say, I would say there's three. The first hurdle was just getting this idea going. People thought this thing was crazy, and it took about a year pushing it up a hill. And in hindsight, a year is not a long time, but it felt like an eternity mm-hmm. because we didn't know if this would ever work. And eventually, like it just started working. 
The second hurdle was 2011. We become a billion dollar company. Now we felt like we've made it. And all of a sudden, a woman's house is trashed on Airbnb. And everyone was like waiting for the moment that someone's house is trashed to be able to say, like, I told you this was a bad idea. And that was the first moment of a crisis and confidence. What, what was the trashing? I don't remember. It was in 2011. A woman in San Francisco named EJ had her apartment trashed. And we had no protections back then for people. Like, it was kind of a leap of faith. So out of this dark hour, a tr- loss in trust and confidence in the company, we had this idea. What if we had an Airbnb guarantee against property damage? And I was going to guarantee everyone's home against $5,000 of property damage. In the last second, before I'm about to announce it, an investor of mine, Mark Andreessen, came to my office like midnight, and he's like, adds a zero to the end. He goes, make a 50000 And I'm like, well, you're the one that gave me like money, so if you think we should do this, we'll do this. That is today a $3 million guarantee against theft and property damage. And that really was one of the things that actually catapulted us. It restored I'm trust. Sure. But I think the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was probably managing the crisis uh, of the pandemic. I mean, that was totally crazy. People stopped traveling. I mean, think about this, Martha. So I remember it's late 2019. And like many of us, we go away for the holidays thinking our life is like going in one direction. And I have no idea that my life is about to change. It's early 2020. We're preparing to go public. Airbnb is one of the companies of the 2010s. Like it was like a hot company and the IPO was going to be this culmination of this obviously momentum and the success. So we're working on our IPO. Then all of a sudden we start seeing our bookings precipitously fall in China. This is late January, early February, 2020, because obviously it starts in China and we're one of the only American businesses in China. Like there are very few internet companies in we China. We were there. I was there with my family oh right my God, in January serious? 2020. Are you serious? Yes. Whoa. And we got out, I mean, probably by the skin of our teeth, you know, oh can you God. imagine? And uh, and when we came home, then, you know, the S hit the fan. But I can see that your business was so I remember, in jeopardy. So I remember saying this like kind of naive comment time, Martha. I said, wow, if this thing spreads outside of China, it's going to be really bad. I had no idea what was about to happen. We lost 80% of our business in eight Mm. weeks. And we were doing probably like $35 billion a year in bookings Mm. at that point. That's like the gross sales more than Starbucks does. And so when you're a business like ours and you're doing sales like that and you drop, it's like you're an 18-wheeler and you slam on the brakes. And you were filing for an IPO at that time, We were preparing to file for an IPO. We had written the S1. All of a sudden, we went from preparing to file an IPO to have the biggest IPO of 2020. Two, within eight weeks, journalists writing, is this the end of Airbnb? Mm. Will Airbnb exist? The banker saying, I don't think you have to worry about your IPO for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so we went into crisis mode. I have a board member um, named Ken Chenault. He was CEO of American Express during 9-11 oh. and 2008. And he calls me up and he says, this is your defining moment as a CEO. And it like rang in my head like a bell. And we all like came into action a bunch of us kind of basically got into a foxhole and this was like a do or die situation for us, right? It was like so crazy. And we basically had to rebuild the company from the ground up. And along the way, we tried to take care of every stakeholder guest. We issued more than $1 billion of refunds for people who felt unsafe traveling host had a major economic shortfall. So we took $250 million out of our bank account and sent it to host, even though like that money was kind of precarious at the time. People needed housing on the front lines. I said, even if, where the company is on the brink, we're still going to help others. 
So we provided housing for frontline workers like nurses, firefighters. We had to do a layoff, one of the big first tech layoffs of the pandemic, but we tried to do it with compassion. And I was- How many employees my, did you have at that time? We had 7,000. We went down to 5,000. So, you know, we laid off like- 2,000. Yeah, 2,000, probably 25% of the place or so. So um, it was obviously, you know, obviously that is- a layoff's the hardest thing a CEO usually ever has to do. And I was warned about how difficult it was, but I wasn't prepared at all. And, it, you know, when you lose that much of your business, it's like your house is on fire and you're like going into a burning house and you somebody tells you, you can only keep half your things. What are you going to take? And then suddenly everything becomes really clear to you. And I realized that not everything we did was as important as everything else. And that we had to get back to the roots of Airbnb, back to connection, back to everyday people, bringing them together. And so we hunkered down, we remade the company from the ground up and something remarkable happens. People start traveling again. They're not crossing borders. They're not going to cities, but they're like sequestering their homes. and They're like getting stir crazy. Mm -hmm. So they start booking Airbnbs like the town over or like within a tank of gas away. And then suddenly- oh, true. Our, Is that true? Yeah. Oh. And then our business comes back, but a different kind of business. People are now staying Airbnbs not just for a night, but for a week or for a month. They're living in Airbnbs and they're living with other people. And so our business comes back, but without a lot of the cost base. And then so then we prepare to go public. Like all these bankers said we weren't, we never have to go public. But we have, now we have to like redo the everything because like the S1 we had written was like for a company that didn't exist anymore. It was now a different business. So we do an IPO on Zoom. And it becomes one of the biggest IPOs ever. We prepared at the depth of the crisis. We were probably rate uh, a value to eighteen billion dollars. We go public at forty-seven billion, and the day it closes it was a hundred billion-dollar company. And Mike, it's like my whole life, like now, <laughs> flashes before my eyes again. That was the craziest year of my life. And it was a very different company than what you had envisioned in the first place. It was a very different company. You know, weirdly- And now, and now, what? what is it? How close to your original vision is that company now? It's kind of going back full circle. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be honest, like Airbnb started as a way to meet people. It wasn't a way just to stay in a house. It's a way to meet people. That's so that like a thing. social club. It was like a social club. It was like a, like a, it was like a social network in the physical world, even though that was a total loaded worm. It was like a way to bring people together. It was the idea that what if you could walk in someone else's shoes? And then it grew. And it grew to the point where people started getting more investment properties and then you wouldn't meet the host and there was a keypad. And there's a real merit to a service like that. But the heart and soul of the company isn't about houses. It's about people. It's about connection. I always wanted to be a tech company that had like heart at the center of the company and creativity. I mean, a designer from RISD starting a tech company, how could a company not be about people and connection, not bits and bytes? And so that's what it is now where we have like new products we're launching and it's all about bringing people together. Like what? Well, <laughs> it's launching in a month. You're, I'm going to uh -oh. break news on your podcast. Um, let's just say that the original idea of Airbnb, we're going back to the original idea of Airbnb, of bringing people back together, people staying with each other's homes. And that's a really big focus of ours. It's not a dating app, is no, it? No, 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 no. <laughs> Although I do, I am very interested in new ways to like bring people together. I don't think dating is the right thing for Airbnb, but any ideas that help connect people and bring them together is I think something we're going to need in this new world. I can, I can see, I'm good at advertising. Um, um, you you want to go to an odd place and how many, who wants to go to yeah. this place? And That's you put that, yeah. And you put that out there 
And who wants to go to, let's just say, um, Tasmania? Yeah. And uh, and so you could also become a giant travel company. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you could. You're right. I mean, better than the better than the kind of travel companies that exist now, which are tours or something with unrelated people. They could be all related. Yes, you could basically find interest. people yes. to travel with, either people you don't know, or it could be a reason to reconvene with people that yeah. you know, but you live in different cities yeah. from. I'll brainstorm with you. Anytime. I love to do I that. I love doing that stuff. Oh yeah. And then, I mean, think about it. Like today, how do people meet one another? It's getting more and more difficult. And the internet was supposed to be this way to meet people. But what is really, like your Instagram followers aren't coming to your funeral. No, no. one changed someone else's mind on a YouTube no. comment section. No. Social network is now social media. And we're not really connecting. People were performing in front mm-hmm. of other people. Exactly. And so I think that there's a real need for a way for people to still connect, to still meet. We're one of the largest providers of housing in the world. It's been used a billion and a half times. But yeah, where I'm really interested in is things that bring it back to the magic of hosting, creativity, and bringing people together. I also want to show people that a creative person can run a Fortune 500 company. (laughs) I mean, think about how many Fortune 500 companies are run by CFOs or COOs or engineers or super analytical people. How many creative people or designers run Fortune 500 companies? How many creative people are on the board of Fortune 500 company? How many creative people report to the CEO of a creative company? My next door neighbor. Who's your next door neighbor? Ralph Lauren. Oh, yeah. So there you go. Okay. See, I'm, I wish I'm there, surrounded by I that. wish there were more of them. Yeah, there are a lot. There's you. Yeah. There's Ralph. Yeah. But there should be more. How many are in tech? Uh-huh. Not many. Not in the big companies. No. And I kind of remember, I remember when I was at RISD, there was an obsession about how did, do you get designers in the boardroom? And I always remembered, well, why can't designers run the boardroom? We're really... Like design, obviously, is not just how something looks. It's how it works. But you're not just a designer, and you have to face that fact now. You are also a very important tech guy. Yes. You've built a company around technology yeah. uh, with a base, a basis of a of a creative idea. But but Steve Jobs did the same thing, you know. Really, Steve Jobs, I think, probably thought of himself in a larger way as a designer. He just had he a did. different he canvas. He did. Yeah. He said, "Design is the fundamental soul of a man-made creation that reveals itself through subsequent layers." Mm-hmm. You know, Johnny Ive now works with us. Uh huh. And like, and he's taught me a lot about design. And I thought I knew about design. Then I started working with Johnny, and it's like design isn't just how it looks; it's how it fundamentally works. Yeah. And I thought, what if a like, yes, I'm a business person, I'm a technologist in some kind of way. I still approach every problem like a designer. It's certainly paid off. Yes. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. So Airbnb offers lots of things that hotels do not. Right. Just list five things. Number one, Airbnbs are in basically every neighborhood in the world. So hotels and hotel district. You go to Airbnb, it's in a neighborhood. Number two, it's usually a lot more affordable than a hotel because you're sharing space and people don't need a profit. Three, you're getting a local and authentic experience. Four, you're, you can potentially have a connection with people. And five, when you're in a real home, the home is usually equipped. So you can cook. There's like things in the kitchen. There might be a backyard with a barbecue. There might be a pool. And you're not sequestering this hotel. So these are five examples of things you get, not a hotel. Now, hotels are great if you're like staying for a night. You're in for a midnight. You leave at 8 a.m. But basically, Martha, I think the longer you're away from home, the more you want to be in a home. And a lot of our business, half of it's more than a week. That's a great use case. If you're going there for a few nights, Airbnb's still great. What's the cheapest Airbnb? I mean, we have Airbnbs that are like 10 bucks a night around the world. And then we have Airbnbs that are like $50,000. Like what? I mean, a we castle have, someplace? We have, we have an entire collection of castles. Oh, you do? Is it all stationary real estate? We have boats. We have oh, a you whole, do have We have boats. a whole collection of boats. So anyone can list anything on Airbnb, but we have a lot of remote screening to make sure like they, people have like an authenticated address, um, you know, and the whole, the whole thing works on a reputation system. So that's the real key. When somebody stays in Airbnb, they leave the guest review and then uh, they, they leave a host review and the host leaves the guest review. 70% of the time people review each other. And that's really the major currency. We also verify every guest and every host. So we have 100 million authenticated verifications. And we do a lot of remote screening as well to detect for prior parties to really make people feel safe. How did the hotel industry react to Airbnb? And how are they reacting now? I think they ignored it. Then they didn't like it. Then they probably tried to stop it. And I think now they've come to the conclusion that we can coexist together. And actually, maybe they've also come to the realization that they have record revenue and record profits even as we grow, and that we can both live together. That a hotel is great if you need to go for a night or two, you're in and out, or if you're like staying in a conference. And if you want to have a local experience, a really authentic experience and live in a home, then Airbnb is great. And these are kind of, frankly, slightly different use cases. When was the last time you stayed in a hotel? I actually stayed in a hotel um, very recently um, for an investor conference. And we we own a hotel app called Hotel Tonight. So I'm I'm a primarily Airbnb person, a home person, but hotels are great for some use cases. If I get in at midnight, I leave at 8 a.m., I think a hotel is probably better. I don't want to wake up the host at midnight and let them like host me and then I'm out in the morning. And which country is your biggest market? United States, mm-hmm. probably followed by like France and then UK. 
Well, on average, on um, you said it, but I just want to reiterate: how many guests do you host a night? Uh, uh, up to four million a night depends on the night. Isn't that crazy? That's like that's basically the size of LA. But it, so imagine we built a community, basically the size of a living together every night. But from nearly every country in the world, people from the Middle East are staying at homes with people from Texas. You have these cultures that have not really lived together in this way before. It's really interesting to hear your enthusiasm, uh, which only seems to grow and not wane with this amazing company. And your opportunities are vast. Um, is there one one area that you want to go into that you just haven't broached yet? We did launch a product called Airbnb Experiences, where you can basically like not just stay in a home, but have an experience with somebody. So you can do like we you can do like a cooking class. I'll give you an example. There was a grandmother in Tuscany, and she put a cooking class in Airbnb, pasta with grandma. She now she, it, she became so popular that all the other all these other grandmothers in Tuscany started putting their own <laughs> pasta class up. And basically, the way it works is you book a class. You go to her house. She teaches you pasta with other guests. You make the pasta, you eat it, and you tell stories about growing up. It's so popular that grandmas around the world are now doing pasta with grandma, dumplings with grandma, and they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So I think there's a major opportunity with experiences. And then beyond that, I think there's just so many other ways to bring people together. I've had ideas for Airbnb. You know, Many of my family members use Airbnb. My niece, Sophie, is on her way to India. And she's debating whether to use Airbnb in India, which is newish in yeah. India. Yes. But she's thinking maybe she's going to stay with friends first and yeah. where they'll feed her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and feeding is one of the things that she's always brought up to me. You know, you get into a city. She was she got into the outskirts of Berlin and she had nothing to eat. And mm. it was late at night and she had nothing to eat. Yeah. But we have a solution. We have Martha and Marley Spoon, which happens to be a German company. Have you thought about putting food in the refrigerator? pre-ordered yeah. by the guests. I think it's actually a great idea. You yeah. know, I think it's food is a key part of hospitality and being a good host. You would know that as well as anyone. Yeah, and we have these meal kits, which you just yeah. can order and for two or four people or six people if yeah. you want. I just thought it would be a good idea for uh, for Airbnb. No, I, li- I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That sounds so And good. also, Martha, I'm going to continue to host people in my home. You have an open invitation. If you're ever in San Francisco, you hosted me in your home. I got to host you in my home. <laughs> Outside of Airbnb, you've done work with the Obama Foundation. Yes. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, President Obama, crazy enough, became a bit of a mentor to me. I met him um, the last year of his presidency. And then when he left office, we kept in touch. And we had like a standing phone call where he kind of really took an interest in helping me. Like, And, you know, it was a very important time in my life. And I wanted to, you know, help him and help his foundation. And I was thinking about philanthropy, like I wasn't prepared to have a lot of money. And then one day I wake up and, you know, before you know, it, it was like the flash of value of mm-hmm. billions of dollars. I joined the giving pledge to commit to giving the majority of my wealth away before I die or upon my death. And I hadn't really done anything yet. I hadn't really thought about it. And I had a brainstorm with President Obama. And I said, the first thing I want to do is I want to help high school kids um, and I want to do some kind of scholarship to, I want to help kids that don't have any other means to get help. Um, you know, if you're going to tech as this venture capitalist and I was brainstorming him and president Obama told me a story about, you know, he wanted to go into public service when he was in college, but he felt like he almost couldn't afford to because college is expensive and public service doesn't teach you a lot. And I mm-hmm. thought to myself, can you imagine if president Obama didn't go into public service, didn't become a community organizer, he probably wouldn't have been president if he went to corporate law. And so I thought, we thought we had this idea, what if we create a scholarship for college students that want to have a career in public service? 
there's no venture capitalist for them. And then I had the other idea. I said, well, like, I don't know a lot about education, but I know quite a lot about travel. So we're going to have a travel component because I want people to go into public service to also take the best ideas around the world and bring it back to the United States or forever they're going to do service. And so now there's, they, not only do we pay for the last dollar education, so like, you know, um, $50,000 or so, we also pay for 10 years of travel so they can travel the world. And, you know, I think the basic idea, Martha, I have is the world is getting more and more divided, but it's hard to hate someone else when you meet them up close. It seems like the people have strongest opinions about other people, the ones without passports. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a real risk that we get really, really insular. And so if you could basically have a generation of bridge builders, the world would be a lot more healthy. But you can't build a bridge unless you've ever been on the other side of the river. So you're funding education for these people? Yep. So 100 scholarships a year. We'll probably eventually scale to 200. I took $100 million, put it into this scholarship fund that the Obama Foundation administers. Oh, great. Well, congratulations Thank on you very that. much. Very important. Education is all important in my mind. Yes, totally. Well, we could talk and talk and talk and talk. Forever. You are You are fantastic. But I just want to say um, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much. Uh, and to learn more about Airbnb, keep up uh, with Brian and his travels with his adorable dog, Sophie. <laughs> yes. A golden retriever. Yes. And you can follow him on Instagram. His handle is at B Chesky, C-H-E-S-K-Y. And of course, to learn more about Airbnb, visit airbnb.com or download the Airbnb app. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Martha, this for having me. This has been a pleasure. Well, thank you for hosting And now me. I'm so revved up. I'm going to look. I'm gonna, I think I'm first going to look for, not a castle. I don't want a castle. I I, I think maybe a boat. We we have thousands of those. Okay. So Boats are to, fun to Love to, to host you. We'll help. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.